If you use these 13 phrases every day, you have higher emotional intelligence than most people, according to psychology experts. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. And today's episode is a solo episode where I talk about emotional intelligence. What is emotional intelligence? What are the five components of emotional intelligence? And we'll go through those 13 phrases that people with higher emotional intelligence use every single day. But in other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products daily. So click the link in the show notes, head over to the website, see which products might work best for you, then use the code EVERYBODY at checkout for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 160 of Something for Everybody. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and today's episode is all about emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence, we're gonna talk about what it is, um, the five components of emotional intelligence, and we're gonna break down 13 phrases that people with higher emotional intelligence will use uh, most often, according to psychology experts. So first, what is emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence is the ability to perceive interpret, demonstrate, control, evaluate, and use emotions to communicate with and relate to others effectively and constructively. This ability to express and control emotions is essential, but is also the ability to understand, interpret, and respond to the emotions of others. Some, some experts suggest that emotional intelligence is more important than IQ for success in life. Some experts suggest that. Now, this this falls in line, emotional intelligence falls in line with what um, Susan David talks about a lot, which is this idea of emotional flexibility or emotional agility. Now, if you're relating it to, let's say, uh, your physical agility, if you're an athlete, you know that you need to move quick, bursts of speed, be able to be under your feet and control your feet to have agility, to change directions on a dime, to understand the play and movement and all of that. That's having physical flexibility, emotion or physical agility, speed, strength, all of that combined to create this sort of agility that you have on the playing field. And now if we think of our life as the playing field, which is, is a game, we are participating, we are active participants in the game of life because there's many aspects of a sports game that relate to life. That's why I like to use sports as my sort of vehicle or analogy or metaphor to transform my life, to transform the obstacles that make me stronger in all of these things. <clears throat> and so now we're, we're, we're translating this idea of physical agility into this idea of emotional agility, which means being able to adapt to the unfolding environment, being able to understand, process, and sit with some difficult emotions and not always 
uh, suppress and avoid and push away the hard emotions, but feeling them, knowing the emotions that you feel are just feelings. They're not, they don't define you. You are not those feelings. You are just someone who is experiencing those feelings and you can sit with it, process it, understand it, know why it's happening and then move on. That's what emotional agility is. Not being able, not pushing away or avoiding or shoving under the rug again so the dragon gets bigger but just being able to be agile and flexible and having a emotional vocabulary that's large enough to sort of define these terms i'm not just good okay or fine right i have a larger emotional vocabulary so i can actually define how i'm feeling i'm feeling overwhelmed i'm feeling rejected i'm feeling disappointed i'm feeling heartbroken, right? I'm feeling guilty, shameful, all of these things. How can you have a larger emotional vocabulary to then relay and define the actual emotion or feeling that you are experiencing so you can have this sort of emotional agility, so you can toggle in life this way so you can experience and be in reality in the present moment while having the sense of emotional agility to be able to um, handle, let's say handle, properly the unfolding environment because if you are to fight against reality you will never win reality wins every time so we have to accept reality as is we have to accept our current situation as is we have to accept those emotions as they come in and then being able to be flexible with those emotions and being able to adapt and adjust and have emotional agility to the unfolding environment. Just like a lot of other things when we talk about our mental skills or our psychology or how to develop emotional intelligence or emotional flexibility, you have to first become aware. So step number one is always awareness. Then you move into acceptance. Then you move into action. And you can use that three-step approach for almost anything almost anything because you have to be aware of something first you have to recognize that it's real it's true and it's there before you can change it at all then you have to actually accept it like okay this is my actual current reality and situation i accept it as is now the third and most crucial step is the action part what action step can you take what small step can you take to move yourself forward in the right direction so that's a bit about um, emotional intelligence and there's five components, um, the experts say, of emotional intelligence. I don't think these are in any specific order, but I'm just going to give you them as they are. So one being social skills. Social skills is one of the five components of emotional intelligence. And it's being able to create and maintain healthy relationships, which uh, makes sense <laughs> for sure. Uh, the next one, um, the next component of emotional intelligence is decision making the ability to make responsible choices and accept their outcome. We're making responsible choices, we're taking ownership over those decisions and accountability over those decisions and accepting the outcomes as they come. Our, our decisions are not always gonna be the right decision, but we're using our emotional intelligence, our clarity of mind, our previous successes or our previous decisions to lead us up to this decision, to have responsibility over this decision, to have ownership and accountability, and then accept the outcome as is, right? Awareness, acceptance, action. So the second component of emotional intelligence would be decision-making. The third component of emotional intelligence is empathy. Empathy, the capacity to empathize and appreciate another perspective. This is huge when speaking about emotional intelligence because you're, you're perceiving, interpreting, and trying to understand how other people feel because you have 
they're, they're, you have an empathetic sense about you, which is a huge component to emotional intelligence, to be able to appreciate another person's perspective or life experience and try and put yourself in their shoes to understand how they might think, feel, and move differently through the lens of their life and having a little bit of empathy towards their situation because it's not the same as yours. That's definitely a component of emotional intelligence. Um, the next one, the fourth component of emotional intelligence is self-regulation. Self-regulation, the ability to regulate emotions and actions in a variety of environments. So being able to self-regulate yourself. I tell this to my young athletes all the time. This is one of the biggest things that we try and teach them is to be able to self-regulate on the field. When are you starting to feel anxious? When are you starting to feel nervous? When are you starting to feel overexcited? When are you starting to feel distracted? Like all of these things are coming up in your body. And as a coach, it's hard for me to see these internal things unless a external play has happened, say a mistake or whatever the case may be. And maybe I can see that they're losing focus or they're a little anxious or I see they're, they're, they're sweating a little bit more, they're breathing a little bit heavier than usual. Maybe I can catch those external references about how they might need to mm -hmm. self-regulate moving there, telling them to flip the switch, telling them to get into their body or use a mantra or whatever the case may be. But they're going to know their internal experience better than anyone else. And so if we can get them to the point where they can self-regulate, they're noticing themselves getting distracted. They're feeling a little overwhelmed about the the largeness or the pressure of the game. They're feeling more pressure. They're feeling a little unconfident, a little shaky, right? Okay, how can they self-regulate in the moment, deal with it, accept it as is, right? First, they're, they're, they're able to self-regulate because they became aware of it. Then they're accepting it. Okay, I'm feeling this way. Now, what's the action step? Okay, it's a big deep breath. It's an optimal deep, deep breath. It's getting back into my body language. It's having some productive self-talk right? It's moving around a little bit. It's saying, I'm excited. It's saying, bring it on. It's flipping the switch, right? What mechanism can we use to self-regulate? But we notice that first because we have awareness, acceptance, and action. So getting people, players, anyone that I work with to, to be able to self-regulate, right? The ability to regulate your emotions and actions in a variety of environments, because that's what we're in. We're in a variety of environments as human beings, and a lot of things happen that are outside of our control, but what we have control over is our internal inner experience. And that's something that we have to work on, our mental skills day to day, to be able to have that control over our um, emotions and actions in a variety of environments. <clears throat> and then the last one sort of sums it all up, uh, um, is self-awareness, the knowledge of one's own thoughts, feelings, and motivations, right? Self-awareness or awareness in general sort of is the leader of all of these skills because you can't do anything about something if you are first not aware of it. We hear that all the time, but it's absolutely true. If I don't know that I need to make a change, then I'm not going to make that change. So I need to become first aware of it. I need to recognize it. Step number two would be accepting the fact that this is my current situation and I have to move from that space. And then the third is get into some action, immediately get into some action. So to recap, the five components of emotional intelligence are social skills, decision-making, empathy, self-regulation, and self-awareness. So those are the five components of emotional intelligence. So now you have a little bit of background about what emotional intelligence is, how it relates to Susan David's work on emotional agility and emotional flexibility, how it relates to these sort of 
internal mental skills that we can develop to be able to be aware and have self-regulation and accept reality and move into action because if we don't have this sort of grasp on our mental health toolkit or our mental skills, then we don't have any action items to pull from to be able to do that third step of action, right? We can get the idea that we're aware, okay, this is happening, great, I accept that this is happening, now what do I do about it? That's the most important part here is knowing what tool you want to pull from in your toolkit during the action phase of this three-step process. And so that means you have to try stuff. You have to try stuff. You have to figure out the toolkit for you. What is your mental skills, mental wellness, mental health toolkit? What does it look like? What things are inside of it? What protocols have you set up, right? You want to create algorithms for your mental health toolkit, which means if this, then what? If I feel this way, then I do this, right? You're setting up these pre-commitments for your mental health. They're pre-commitments for your mental health, right? If I start to feel this way, then I do this. If this happens, then I do this, right? You're setting up these algorithms and these protocols and these pre-commitments for your mental health, for your mental health, so that when things go inevitably wrong, bad, or things don't go the way you want them to, or you feel rejected or are in despair or lose a little hope, or you're feeling overwhelmed, or you're feeling, dis- you have stuff to fall back onto because you've created these set of pre-commitments, these set of algorithms, these set of protocols that you stick to. And when we create these algorithms or protocols, we know that when we feel our worst is when we stick to our protocols the most. Yes, it's very easy to stick to my protocol calls when things are going great, when we're smooth, when we're riding a wave, when we're riding a high, when we're riding the peak, right? It's great. Yes, I journal, meditate, cold shower, exercise, read, uh, all this stuff. Great. But when I start to slip a little bit, because inevitably I'm a human being and I will, and I start to take it down, uh, the spiral down, or things happen in my life that were outside of my control, a loss of a loved one, I got broken up with, I lost my job, whatever the case may be, is like things are going to happen. So then how do we stick to our protocols then when things are in the valley, when things are in the spiral down, so we can spiral back up and, and continue to have that life trajectory that goes upward with the downward spiral. That's what spiraling up is. And so we have these protocols set up, if this, then what? If this, then what? Set up in our life so we can stick to our protocols when we feel our worst, so we can make our prior best, our new baseline, and we can make our previous lows a little bit higher and higher. So our lows aren't as low and our highs are just a bit higher. That's the idea of setting up a toolkit Uh, or having mental skills, or having a a toolbox of skills for your mental health, for your mental wellness, for your physical wealth, health, for your overall well-being, so that you can have something to go to, like having a support system, right? You know what friends you can go to, or family members you can go to when you're feeling a certain way. You know that they have your back, you know that they love you. It's the same thing for these skills. You know that these things work for you, because you've tried them out in a real situation, you've gave them a real try, you've committed to them for a long period of time, and you know that they make you feel better. So now you have them part of your algorithm, part of your protocols, part of your habits, part of your daily routines, so that when things happen, you go to them. That's what building this whole thing is all about. That's why having an awareness of something and then accepting that it is that thing and then having a set of action items that you can go to 
no matter what is extremely important. And you can you can reframe that sort of three-step process for anything in your life. And it does start with a lot of this idea of this emotional intelligence or emotional flexibility or emotional agility to be able to understand what's happening uh, and regulate your emotions and actions in a variety of different environments. And so all of these things match up, but I would really, really, really dive into Susan David's work. She does incredible work with this idea of emotional agility and how we can deal with the harder emotions and how they're really beacons of our values. And it's, it's really good stuff. I wrote a newsletter for my Random Stuff Friday newsletter a couple weeks ago on it. You can sign up for that at <clears throat> aaronmashbits.com. I put out a newsletter every single Friday along with two episodes of this podcast every single week. So if you subscribe to that, you'll get a direct email into your inbox with the two podcast episodes and with a newsletter. Um, and if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe, but maybe check it out. And if you have any feedback for me, that'd be awesome. But now on to the other thing that I wanted to discuss today, which is 13 phrases that people who seem to have higher emotional intelligence use often. And this is what the psychology experts say. So we'll just go through them one by one. Um, maybe I'll have a lot to say on each one. Maybe I'll have a little, but here we go. So the first one is, could you tell me more about that? And that makes sense, right? People who sort of lack self-awareness only really care about their own thoughts and opinions, right? But people who are emotionally intelligent or have some emotional flexibility are people who are interested in how others feel and what they have to say, right? Because they have social skills to back that up, right? It's one of the components of emotional intelligence. And so they communicate or ask questions in a way that encourages people to talk about their feelings and experiences. And they use their responses as a, as a learning opportunity to to get to know people better, to understand their perspective better, to just create deeper connections because that's really what life is all about, creating those relationships, those deep, strong relationships um, that are the number one component for having a good life, quote unquote. So number two, number two is similar. It's I hear you, right? I hear you. Um, by telling someone that you understand them, you set up a, you set up a cooperative environment perfect for team building. Um, other similar phrases that go along with I hear you are I see what you mean and I get what you're driving at. They're just a signal that you're actually listening. You're actually listening to someone and it opens them up for lines of communication, right? Because listening is probably the pre, pre, pre most important thing that you can do in any conversation. <clears throat> Need a drink of water. Hold on. And, uh, you know, truly listening is one of those skills that just is absolutely profound. It can change your life. It's one of the things that I learned the most from doing this podcast and having guests on, you know, every week is like truly trying to listen and understand them and respond in a way that made sense to the thing that they just said, not having this pre-thought out question in my mind and then have them say words, not even listen and then regurgitate a random sort of question, right? But really trying to take in the information, slow my breath down, channel my thoughts into thinking about how can I formulate something that makes sense and adds value to what they just said. And, and so 
I encourage anyone to start a podcast and do it because it forces you to listen. It forces you to start getting sophisticated with your language. It forces you to start understanding different perspectives and having conversations with people who may not agree with you. And then how can you have respective, respectful um, dialogue with someone when you maybe disagree with them? And that all starts with having some a bit of emotional intelligence, but it also starts with with being able to just listen being able to just truly listen. <clears throat> and so the third one, they're all they're all very similar and they all make sense as to why they would why people who are more emotionally intelligent w- would say these things. And obviously I'm giving you this as a way for you to maybe become more emotionally intelligent. <clears throat> whether you feel like it or not, whether you are or not, you can become more, right? We're never too good to get better. We're never too good to get better and we can always be more kind more intelligent with our emotions. We can always expand our emotional vocabulary, have more self-regulation and self-awareness to be able to move into that action step. Now, if you have so much self-awareness that it just sort of debilitates you from moving forward, you have too much self-awareness. You need to get out of your brain and into your body a little bit more and move more into action and move more into action because awareness is good, but it ultimately doesn't change anything, right? You became aware of it, right? But it doesn't change anything. You accepted it. Great. The only thing that actually changes anything is action. So you have to get into action. So number three is, I understand what you're saying, but this this phrase highlights another important aspect of emotional intelligence. The ability to act diplomatically when dealing with difficult people, situations, or just things that you disagree with, right? We just talked about this. I understand what what you're saying, but you're not saying that was dumb. You're stupid. I can't believe you would say that, right? Just just trying to come from a place of empathy, right? Because empathy is one of the hallmarks of emotional intelligence. So if empathy, if you can try and empathize and understand other people's perspectives, you're going to come from this place of, I understand what you're saying, but if you disagree with someone, express it in a tactful, a tactful, respectful non-confrontational way. The goal is to make it easier to arrive at a mutually agreeable solution. So if you're come with combative words, it's just gonna become more combative. But if you come with an understanding, a different perspective, a different way through that's tactful and respectful, you might get to a point where you mutually agree or you'll just say, I respectfully disagree and I don't know if we're gonna get to a place where we do agree. That's still care and love for that person, just not Um, fully agreeing on this certain subject matter. And there's a lot of subjects like that because there's a lot of things that are very important to a lot of different people and they feel different ways about things. And so maybe we won't agree, but we can still have respect and love for that person even though we're not gonna fully um, sit on this mountain together. Number four, how do you feel about that? You're simply just asking someone how they feel about that, recognizing that they're a person and they, they should have an opinion and a voice, and they do have an opinion and a voice, and you just make people feel acknowledged and respected. You pay attention and take time to understand and empathize with them. As you listen, make an effort to put yourself in their shoes in a meaningful way. So, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. Number five, I'm not sure what's wrong. Could you explain the problem? Right With this phrase, you know that someone is having an issue, right? You know that someone's having an issue and instead of reacting negatively, you invite them to share their thoughts. Similar alternatives to that statement could be, can you clarify that for me? Um, What I'm hearing from you is that blank, is that right? Right, just trying to understand in a deeper way what might be the problem, what's wrong, where we're butting heads, um, 
and you want to have someone be able to share their thoughts and then actually and actively listen to those thoughts um, while they're sharing those things. Number six, this is a good one, right? Super simple. Like, what do you mean? Like simply just asking, what do you mean? In a sincere way, not like, what do you mean? But like in a sincere way, like actually, what, what do you mean by that? When you ask someone for clarification, you are asking them to say something in a different way or provide more information so that you understand them better. This is different from asking a person to repeat something. I'm not saying say it again. I'm saying like, what do you mean? I didn't quite catch that first part. Like I didn't understand some of those terms or words or how you put it together. Maybe could you say it in a different way so I can fully grasp your point because I really want to understand you. You know, that's how emotionally intelligent people work. Number seven, just saying great job or nice work or, you know, appreciating someone. Showing appreciation always goes a long way. Always. It acknowledges other people's efforts and accomplishments. And, you know, most people have a hard time acknowledging themselves for their efforts and accomplishments. And just being able to show appreciation to someone else goes such a long way. It can change the trajectory of their whole day, their whole morning, their whole night, their whole week, right? So just showing up for people, similarly how we should show up for ourselves by praising ourselves, positively reinforcing ourselves when we do something right, right? Not uh, being overly uh, confident um, or to the point where it's sort of egotistical, right? Still having a bit of humility about us and being grounded in ourselves, but understanding where our strengths lie. And when we do something good, acknowledging ourselves for that and showing ourselves effort and appreciation for our accomplishments the same way we would want to do other people, right? So just saying great job. When you compliment someone, you immediately set up a positive vibe. Saying I appreciate you makes others appreciate you more. So it's just like having that sort of appreciative, caring vibe to the people around you and what they do for you and how they treat you and how you treat them. Number eight, <clears throat> you both have good points. Let's see how we can work together. Right? This phrase can help you diplomatically work through trouble spots, right? Because again, people are going to have a difference of opinion. Right, whether you're on a sports team in a boardroom in the office at school, right? People are sometimes going to have differing opinions. So, how can we diplomatically work through these trouble areas by acknowledging different points of view? Once you've encouraged everyone to share their concerns, you can more easily solve a potential problem. Studies show that the ability to resolve conflicts is a trademark. Is a trademark of emotional intelligence, right? Because you're able to be diplomatic and cooperative and res uh, respectful while negotiating on difficult things. And that's how you get to a resolution. That's how you get to the best possible resolution or answer or plan that you can possibly have. When you hear different sides, you take responsibility for those things and you sort of mesh it all together and have a diplomatic cooperative negotiation that leads to the best answer or plan of attack moving forward. Number nine. I'd love your input on this. This phrase and similar ones like, can I get some advice from you? Or do you mind if I ask for some input? Are golden, right? You're just, you're allowing someone else to feel proud of themselves, which makes them think more positively about you. But really, you're asking for someone's input, someone's expertise, someone's advice, right? Making someone feel loved and valued because you 
appreciate their expertise or their way of thinking or their way of going about things, or you want to pick their brain on how they did it because they came before you, right? People feel appreciated by this and it just shows that you care, right? You care about people, you care about doing good work. So you want to know what's worked and what hasn't worked. And you're asking for, for input or another set of uh, thinking on it because diversity in thinking is a beautiful thing, right? We want to encourage diverse thought, right? People who think and feel and act differently creates the best things, right? Which is a beautiful thing about diversity of thought. And so getting people's input on it or some advice, all of that stuff is, is a whole, another hallmark of, of emotional intelligence. Number 10, this, situ this situation makes me worried or confused or upset, right? You're just expressing your thoughts and feelings, right? When there's a problem, emotionally intelligent people don't focus on the person who created it, but on the overall situation. This way, you're not blaming someone or putting them on a defensive side. Instead, you're explaining how you feel about what happened, which helps you avoid sounding passive aggressive or antagonistic, right? Yes, you can say this situation makes me feel worried, or you can go the Jocko route, which is basically extreme ownership and responsibility. Both are hallmarks of emotional intelligence. 11, I feel this way about. I feel this way about. When you are emotionally intelligent or emotionally flexible or have emotional agility, you connect with your emotions as they happen in the moment. Awareness, accept. Awareness, accept. This type of self-awareness allows you to better share your own emotions and impressions with other people, which both makes them feel closer to you and engages them to do the same, right? This is it. Emotional intelligence is wrapped up in that idea of self-awareness, self-regulation, which turns into acceptance, which moves into action. So we're able to share how we feel honestly to ourselves and to others. And then we don't just sit in those emotions. We don't avoid them either. We see them, we feel them, we understand them because we have an, we have an emotional vocabulary to understand them. And then we move into action. So they move right along because we are not our emotions. They are just feelings that we are experiencing. And that's, again, a hallmark of emotional intelligence. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Having a healthy dose of humility is common among people with high emotional intelligence. Don't be afraid to say I'm sorry. When you make a mistake, admit it and genuinely apologize to whomever deserves it. A hallmark of emotional intelligence is people who are able to admit when they were wrong and hold themselves accountable for their mistakes and hold themselves responsible and take ownership over their actions. They maybe led you in a wrong direction, they made a wrong decision, or they said this and you should have done that, whatever, right? People who have emotional intelligence or emotional flexibility or emotional agility, or just in touch with their idea of being their best self, will be able to take ownership and responsibility over their movements, actions, and decisions, and will be able to sincerely apologize when they do those things. And so you know they mean it when they say, I'm sorry, I genuinely apologize. And that builds up an emotional bank account with the person they're with. And that builds a reputation, a relationship that this person is trustworthy, that this person is responsible for their actions. And if something goes wrong, they will take ownership and accountability for it. And that's the type of people you want to be around because they will also hold you accountable to the same standard. And so that is obviously a hallmark of emotional intelligence. And the last one, which I think is an extremely important one, is thank you. Thank you. 
Don't forget those magic words, right? You were taught when you were a kid. Please, thank you, and you're welcome are always appreciated. Please, thank you, and you're welcome are always appreciated, right? It's important to have this idea of common courtesy because you are always dealing with another human being. You're always dealing with another human being. And of course, like everyone knows, but sometimes need to be reminded that people are going through things that you know nothing about. Absolutely nothing. Most of the time, people's biggest, hardest pains are invisible. There's something that you cannot see. They're not a broken arm or a broken leg. They're inside their brain, their body, and their heart. And you cannot see them. So common courtesy, please, thank you, you're welcome. A little bit of kindness goes a long way always, all the time. Whether or not that person tells you that it went a long way, it does. And so we need to keep passing it along and paying it forward and passing it along and paying it forward. If all we do is just be a little kinder and have a little more common courtesy for our fellow human, things are gonna get that much better because there's a domino effect of all of these things. There's a downstream effect of kindness and caring for one another and showing up for yourself while showing up for others in a compassionate, kind way. And so being polite isn't only a hallmark of high emotional intelligence, it's also a way of showing respect for others which makes them regard you more highly. But really this just is about caring, caring, deeply caring about your fellow human understanding that everyone is going through something that you cannot see. And so just having kind words to say or appreciating them or smiling for them or just having some common courtesy will always go a long way, will always, always go a long way. So that's a brief breakdown of emotional intelligence. You got sort of what is emotional intelligence mixed in with Susan David's work on emotional agility and emotional flexibility. You got the five components of emotional intelligence, and then you got 13 phrases that uh, highly emotionally intelligent people use uh, very often, according to the experts. So hope you enjoyed the episode. Let me know what you think, feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, concerns are always, always, always appreciated. And I will see you guys next time. Lots of love. Thank you for tuning in to that episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you learned something about emotional intelligence. What was your biggest takeaway from that episode. And if you do enjoy that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Aaron Mashbits directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple. It really, really helps us get the podcast in front of new eyes. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.